Friends, we are, um, we are back in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and um, it's been um, a challenging passage for me because I've been steeped in it the last couple of weeks, and um, I, I do want to tell you something. I don't know if it will mean anything to you. It has meant something to me. Um, I was supposed to preach on this passage about five or six weeks ago. And Saturday night, I was all ready to go and kind of praying and fine-tuning when I started getting these huge stomach cramps. And as I've been kind of going through the pain and some of the illness issues and not being able to eat, there was a thought in my mind of, whether there is any chance that there is a coincidence on a passage that's not an easy one to preach. I had to think that. I don't know. Could just be God's time to humble me. But I also think sometimes when things need to be said, that the evil one has a particular interest to stop it or to hinder or to slow down, whatever the case. So I just want to tell you that the Lord has been good and faithful. Um, thank you for praying for me through my illness. I actually see the GI doctor Tuesday morning to go over things. I haven't heard anything yet, and I don't know why. It's been a while, but maybe he's going to be able to speak to me in person on Tuesday morning and go over a number of things, but do continue to pray for me. But what I was trying to get at is I would like for you to realize how powerful and important God's Word is. And Satan hates when God's Word is proclaimed, heard, applied, believed, and lived. We're, we have targets on our back by being Christian families and Christian households and truth-tellers and people who love Jesus we have targets on our back. I don't want you to ever forget that. We live in enemy territory, but one day it will be redeemed and it will be God's completely and fully and finally. So I've got one confession. I know I'm going to get tomatoes thrown at me or something, but there's going to be a part three to this sermon. <laughs> and the reason is because I feel stress when I consider the weightiness of the things in Scripture and I don't do justice to go over all of them uh, in a good way with you. It's not because I want to delay this topic more or make it longer than it should be, but it's because I don't want us to miss it. I don't want me to miss it. I don't want to gloss over truth that is for me first and my family and then all of us as a church family. Every part of God's Word needs it. Needs to be heard. Needs to be applied. Needs to be understood, broken down. And I, I, I know I'm not the best at this, but I can't, I can't be okay with going real fast and stressing over getting it all into 30 minutes. So I want to tell you, that there's going to be a part three to this sermon. So forgive me. I know there are people who can do it in one sermon, but I am not capable of that. I started preaching the gospel regularly in August of 1996. 
if that, if my math is right, I used to be good at math, um, that's 27 years ago. But I have to tell you, it's actually been 26 years because I took nine months to be with my wife who I had just married between her junior and senior year of college. So I lived at Cedarville College for nine months and got the first break in preaching that year. And ever since then, it's been regular preaching and teaching of God's Word for me. And there are times I've made a lot of mistakes and gone too fast and didn't do justice to God's Word, but I don't want to make that mistake. God's Word is so important. I can go as a New Yorker a mile a minute, but that would be bad for you, and it would not be good for God's Word. Let me pray, and then we'll jump into today's text. Lord, I do thank You for Your Word. Thank You for how powerful and beautiful and truthful and relevant it is throughout the ages, even today, so many years after these Scriptures have been written. Thank You for the letter to Timothy by the Apostle Paul. Thank You for both of those wonderful godly men who are now with You. And Lord, I pray that even this morning You would speak because it is Your Word, Lord. It is Your Word and not just men's words. And I pray that Your Holy Spirit would speak through um, weaknesses and be uh, powerful enough to draw us to Your Son. And my prayer for my own heart and everyone here is that You would give us a vision of Jesus afresh. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. When I was growing up, I had a cousin who did everything better than me. I'm not going to say his name, but he was really into models. Now, you kids don't even know what I'm talking about. They used to be these, uh, you'll find them in craft shops or toy stores. They were models of like cars or airplanes or really cool things. And it would take like a week to build because not only did you have... Um, all these tiny plastic pieces, but plastic cement and little decals and sometimes paint. And my cousin, who was just a few months older than me, had like a display of them. We used to love this show called The Dukes of Hazard, And he had the General Lee, which was their car. And it was bright orange and beautiful. And he had it he made it perfectly look beautiful. And then he had a, a, an F-15 fighter. And then he got the space shuttle. And all of it looked beautifully and perfectly made. So I tried my hand at that. I started off with something small, some car. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of detailed instruction. And after a while, you kind of think, I know where this goes. And you start putting plastic cement stuff and start putting things together until you realize, I skipped something and I can't go back and fix it now. So sometimes it turned out okay, but a lot of times it didn't. His are still around, I'm sure, in his parents' house. Mine are in the trash. <laughs> because even I didn't want to look at them again, let alone my parents. Um, when I was a young married man, we ended up moving from here back to New Jersey. And believe it or not, we ended up getting the house next to the house I grew up in where my parents lived. 
So pretty soon I learned that not only do I have to mow one lawn, but two lawns, because we were right next to my parents. And I said, I am not mowing like I mowed when I was 10 to 15 to 17 years old, pushing a lawnmower over two properties. I'm going to buy a riding tractor. So, talked to Jaya. We bought a beautiful Craftsman Kohler engine riding tractor, and it came with instructions. (laughs) So, I said, I can do this. I put that thing together. It had very, very detailed instructions because the mower parts underneath, it has the, you know, the carriage and all this other stuff. And uh, there was a page missing. <laughs> and I put it all together wrong. And it said very clearly on page one, don't over-tighten these screws. And I over-tightened screws. And I messed it up and had to take the whole bottom part off again and do it right. But I screwed it up literally and had to wait for parts and screws. That's how that went. Listen, why am I sharing this? God's holy word is timeless and is an instruction book for us. And Joshua says, In Joshua 1.8, this is a verse that I memorized when I was in college with the Navigators. It said, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Do not turn to the left or to the right from it. Keep it so that your way may be prosperous and so that you will do well. That's what the Scripture says. Do not depart from the left or to the right of it. And so, my brothers and sisters, I share all that because... It's so important, especially in difficult passages, to be able to um, recognize that God's Word is still the truth. And if we have a problem with it, I want you to hear this, if we have a problem with it and it's not sitting right, the problem is us. Not God and not His Word. It's us. It's us being offended by the truth that is timeless, that is God's truth. And the problem lies with us. So let me just, as we jump in here, review a couple of things and then we'll jump into the, the points. And let me, let me give you the main points that I had shared last week. The, the main points for this section is, um, is... I'm sorry, I, I just lost my train of thought. The, the main, let, me, let me turn to the Scriptures here. The first is that men should pray and lead in prayer. And the second is um, about... So the first one's about prayer. The second one is about adornment and dressing. And the third thing is about learning and discipleship. And the fourth thing, fourth thing is about teaching and authority. And so I hope to cover at least a couple of those points today, and we'll come to, to point four in detail next week. But let me begin about just doing a quick review of men and prayer. So what we left off last week saying is that men are called in every place, meaning in every local church situation, in every gathering of God's place for worship to lead in prayer. And I think I mentioned that there are some problems that come about if we don't do that. And 
here are three things that I want to give you as a remembrance from last week, okay? Three things. It can be telling of your prayer life, of our corporate success in prayer as a church, why are prayers being hindered. Let me mention three quick things. One, um, men not taking spiritual initiative to lead. Men not taking spiritual initiative to lead. I'll come back to that. Two, a lack of holiness and purity of heart when we do lead spiritually in the home and at church. And thirdly, anger and bitterness and dissension. Here are three things that hinder prevailing prayer or powerful prayer. Remember I asked you, have you ever felt like your prayers aren't being heard? You've been praying something for years and nothing seems to be happening. Well, it could be there's not repentance in an area of sin in your life. Could be that you have not surrendered an area, that you have not um, looked at it closely enough to say, this is sin and I need the Lord's help to repent. So I wanted to point that out to you in a strong way. Well, have you ever heard the word indolence? It's it's an old English word. It's a powerful word. It's a good word. I looked it up this week. Male indolence is the issue here. And you know what it talks about in Merriam-Webster and the Cambridge Dictionary and the Oxford Dictionary? It says, indolence is avoiding or not wanting to work. It's slothfulness. It's laziness. It's avoidance of activity or exertion. It's inclination to laziness. Brothers, I want to tell you, especially to the men here, we are called to not be slothful and lazy in spiritual matters. In our homes and in our churches. I told you that at Ephesus there was very likely many, many good, strong, powerful, um, educated women who took the lead and the men didn't. And Paul saying, I want men everywhere in every church across the land and for all time to take leadership and initiative in leading in spiritual things. This is what God desires. This is a good way to see if we're doing all right, if we're healthy as a church, if we're growing, if we're prospering. So I have to ask some application questions. This is one reason I'm going to do a part three is because I really want to talk about this. Brothers, do you lead in your home? Do you lead a time of prayer? Do you lead in a time of family worship? Come on, it doesn't have to be perfect. Ours is never perfect. We miss days. We have other stuff going on. We're sick. We're tired sometimes. But consistently, we need to be the ones fathers... Husbands, to lead in a time of prayer with your families every day as often as you can. And then let that come also into the church to take leadership. Listen, we, um, we have prayer meetings that we have started now here, haven't we? And I want to tell you that when I have seen prayer meetings at churches that I have been a part of in the past, it's often been mostly attended and led in some ways by women. I think women are allowed to pray in contexts within the church, of course. And so there have been times where the, the ladies have taken so much of a stronger role. What happens to our men? I want to tell you something. If we are going to grow and be blessed as a church and be healthy, the men have to take initiative. 
You have to lead in this area. This is God's command for us. Let it start in your home and then let it translate also into the church. Be here with us to pray. I don't want it to be just Jeff and myself or a handful of people. I want all of you to come and you will see the joy and the blessing and the confidence of praying together and leading in prayer and it will even help you in your home to do that even better. I do want to say something. This was passed on to me by a friend in conversations and reading and preparing for this topic. You know where it talks about men not being angry and causing dissensions or divisions and not quarreling and all of that as part of this requirement? Well, we are built a certain way, aren't we, brothers? We are built kind of authoritatively. We tend to be men who can get angry. Anger is something that's very common for men, I think. I'm not saying everybody, but we can lose our tempers, we can be impatient, we can take it out on our spouses, our children. But when we come to worship, we need to lay down some of what we normally and naturally are. Maybe we need to be men of humility who put out that wick of anger. And maybe we need to not have dissensions and quarrels even in our homes with our spouses because that's who we normally can be. Getting our way, making sure everybody knows who's king of the house. Maybe there's a laying down that's needed as we come to true worship and then we are right with God and right with man and worship grows and the church grows. I wanted to just give you that. I thought it was very helpful. Um, let me move on. Dressing and adornment. Verses 9 and 10. 1 Timothy 2. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Now, I want to tell you some things. This is addressed to women, and so there's a transition here, but I want to tell you this is in some ways applicable to all of us. Remember the question I asked as we ended last week? When you go shopping for clothing or whatever to make yourselves look good, do you think how does this impact someone else? Well, the Scriptures are telling us how to behave in worship in the gathered context of God's people, in corporate worship. And what He tells us is that women especially, because they are attractive and it's built in to look beautiful, to, to show off the beauty in the sense of, of how God's made them, and it can be done wrongly. And so Paul tells us in this letter to the Ephesian church through Timothy the leader that there's to be modesty in dress and godliness in demeanor and attitudes. Now, there are three words here that are very important for our assessment. And the words that I'm going to just remind you again because different translations have it differently is properly, modesty, and discretion. 
So this is what was going on at the time, especially in the Ephesian church. There's very, very wealthy women in Ephesus who are showing off their wealth through the excess of their clothing and their adornment. And we know um, from history and other, other writings and co- comparison of this church, we know that the women were given to wearing very ornate and flashy clothing. And the culture is also feeding into that. The culture is also saying you should be this way even to the Christian women. And I think that's true for us today. And so it wasn't modest and it wasn't discreet. It was very ornate. And what we see is even this idea of braiding, you know, it talks about braiding your hair and putting jewels like gold and silver and all that. This is literally how it happened. These women would spend thousands and thousands of dollars as we know it today getting their hair done in a particular way and showing that off in their situations of worship, contexts of worship. I've seen this done. I've seen this at church. I'm sure it happens all over the world. And you know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, not that you can't braid your hair. Not that you can't look attractive. Not that you can't spruce yourself up and look beautiful for the context of gathering. He's not saying don't braid your hair because that's sinful. He is saying, do not idolize your appearance. Don't turn it into an idol. The other thing he's saying is, this is the church that has all classes of people. Poor, rich, men, women, boys, girls. And there should not be a section of the church that makes another section of the church look bad or humiliated or less than. Right? We're all one in Christ. And so, I assume I can see what's happening today is there's a flaunting and degrading of others then and now. And Apostle Paul says, modesty and discretion is what I suggest for godly women. We're going to come to the last part in just a couple of minutes, but I do want to I want to share something with you because this is important to me and, and in the, for the leadership of our church. And so I'm going to speak very kind of bluntly. In our culture and in our own church family, is there modesty and is there discretion? I want to speak honestly and lovingly to our present situation and even our own mothers and sisters in our church. You know, 1 Timothy 5.2 taught me something a long time ago when I was young, and that is treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters. That's how we as men are to look on every woman in the church. Older women as mothers and younger women as sisters. And yet, if there isn't modesty and discretion, I want to confess that men can be very easily distracted, even in worship, because we are wired a certain way and our eyes take control and we look for eye candy. I hate to say it that way, 
But that's how we fall. That's how we're distracted and then we cannot worship well. And so, I want to say to our sweet ladies in our church, think carefully about, about what you choose to wear and how others, particularly the men, may see them or look at them. Do you ever look at what you're going to wear in the context of worship especially, but it should be everywhere, and ask yourselves, where will they look when they see me? Are they looking at my face? Are they drawn to something else? And if so, why do I want them to look at something else? It's wrong. I can tell you very honestly, in many places, it's been hard even for me because I know I'm sinful. I know I'm a sinner. I know I can lust. I know I can take a second look. I know it's hard. And God calls us to purity and we're going to hold every man in here to to account for purity and holiness. But I do want to say at the same time to our mothers and sisters, you have a responsibility to not cause your brothers to stumble even by our adornment and the clothing that we wear. I don't need to say a lot more on that. But I would say even practically, it might be good, wives, daughters, to ask your husbands and your dad, hey, how does this look before we go? Or maybe you want to ask other godly friends that you trust, is this okay? Is this okay to wear? Because I'm not sure. But I think we have a responsibility to one another for the sake of worship to do that for one another. You know why? Because sexuality in our culture is operating without boundaries and on overdrive. It's everywhere. And it can be in the church. By the way, I want to tell you that there have been men who have come to me and said, man, I struggled last week. Where? Oh, at church. It can happen anywhere. And so I want to leave you with some of those thoughts. Now, Paul may have been even thinking about Proverbs 31. He may have been meditating on the characteristics of the woman in Proverbs 31. You remember how she was described? She's a hard worker. She has her husband's trust. She advances his reputation, cares for the poor, speaks with wisdom, has dignity and strength. She has the praise of her family. Proverbs 31 is a wonderful chapter for everyone in our church, men and women, to read and ask, is that me? Is that, does that describe me? Proverbs 31 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here in 1 Timothy. He says Christian women are to be of beautiful character, and that they should, now listen to this, not only adorn themselves to look good and attractive, which is not a bad thing, but done with modesty and description, but adorned with good works. Isn't that an interesting little phrase? Not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So it's not just clothing, it's not just jewelry, it's being adorned with good works. And what is good works? All those things that please the Lord. Your thinking, 
Your voice, your attitude, your interactions, clothed and adorned, spiritually speaking, with godliness, with good works. Remember what I said about certain advantages men have? We're meant, we're kind of built to be authoritative and sometimes we can lose our patience. Well, I do think, as a friend reminded me, and I thought it was good, I think there is something for the women here too. They have power. Even over men sometimes by their appearance. You remember Delilah? And Samson? I think there are certain advantages that both genders have sort of as a power and they can hold it over other people and there is, I think, just as much a call to sacrifice and lay down at the foot of the cross in order that we can worship rightly. Do you hear what I'm saying? This, especially in the context of worship, we have an opportunity here to restrain, to lay down our power and our advantages so that true worship can happen. And I want to tell you, it it happens on both sides. All right. I'm going to come to point three. Point three is learning and discipleship. And this is how it goes. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And then it goes into Genesis, which is why I wanted a part three, because I don't, don't want to rush over going back to Genesis 3 and a foundation that's given here to show you, as it has shown me, that this wasn't just a temporary thing in Ephesus. This is meant for all ages and all churches across time. It is God's Word being God's Word and God's instructions for us to live holy and prosperous and good, healthy lives. So, there are three provoking words in here that grate on us and bother us. Not just the women, probably many men too. And I want to give you these words, these three provocative words that jump out at us quietly with all or entire or full. Thirdly, submissiveness. Those three words jump out at you, doesn't it? Quietly, entire or all submissiveness. And that that can be hard. What, What does Paul mean when he's talking about Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Well, it's in the context of worship. And I told you that it's about discipleship. So I want you to hear God's Word. This is not something I came up with or the PCA came up with. This is what is and should be understood as God's Word through all Christian, Bible-believing, Christ-centered, evangelical churches around the world. It's God's instructions for how a woman and a man can thrive together as complements to one another to achieve worship, true worship, to the glory of God. And we'll come more into that next week as we dive into verse 12 a little bit more deeply. But I do want to tell you, 
even just for now, it has everything to do with creation order. It has everything to do with God's design of how He's made me as a husband and Jaya as a wife. Or you all as men and women, whether you're married or not. It's not just for wives, by the way. It is for all women. And this is what it says. But there is a hidden blessing in this verse, and I don't want you to miss it, and I'll kind of use this as I wrap up for today. Remember, we're going to continue. It's this. Do you realize that the Scripture shows us something here that we shouldn't miss, and that's that Paul says a woman should and must learn and receive instruction. Just forget quietly and entire and submissiveness for a second. Paul is once again affirming exactly what we already saw in Jesus' ministry. Do you know how many significant women were part of Jesus' ministry? Do you know how many women were present in some of those rooms and contexts when they gathered? Yeah, there were 12 disciples who were meant to be apostles, apostello, to send, be sent out with the message and to teach and to, to instruct. But women should and must learn. And that's revolutionary. You know why? Because in the Jewish synagogue, this is what that looked like. Women would sometimes be on the other side of the wall, not able to sit, standing, not able to pray. And that is so different now. Jesus welcomes women and loves women and teaches women and says, women, Paul, continuing in that, in that realm, says, let a woman learn. Don't miss the blessing in the midst of something that will grate on you. We are all called to be disciples. We're all called to learn in the Lord Jesus. And yet there is a design and a pattern and a structure that He wants for His church. Every Jewish male was taught this according to the Talmudic liturgy. They would wake up as taught by their rabbis to say this every morning, Lord God, I thank You that I'm not a Gentile, that I'm not a slave or a woman. That was the prayer that instructed every Jewish male according to his rabbi when he got up in the morning. And women were not included in discipleship in the rabbinic circles. And yet now, there is such a difference There are so many passages, some of which we'll come to next week, but I want to point out one. In Titus 2, do you realize that as you read the second chapter of Titus, women are part of the training and teaching that goes on. Just read that text and you'll see. There's so much that women are made to do and given to do. And so... Ours is not like the Talmudic liturgy. Ours is the way of the Lord Jesus who shows us clearly what we're made for and how we're made to do it. I'm going to take one extra minute and say this as I close for now. This is particularly convicting to me this past week, so I'm going to do it. I didn't ask the elders for advice on this, but I need to do this from me. I want to apologize 
to all the women in our church. And even for the church, that's not our church. If we as men have not listened to you enough or neglected you or brushed you aside or treated you as second-hand or not loved you enough to know what your gifts and talents are and how God has made you to thrive, I want to say I am sorry because I know even though I have not meant it, I have probably done that myself. I need you to hear that. That we are not Jesus' church if we treat each other like that. Let me, you know what I'm talking about. Let me just unfold it for a second. It's like I got this vision through, through a conversation this past week. Uh, I mean, it was, it was unfolded for me where women are silos who are off there in the corner and they'll be involved in the decorating and doing the crafts at VBS or being in the nursery and all those kind of things. They are not to be siloed. They're not meant to be apart. They're not meant to be only doing these little few things. Oh, you're a woman in the church who wants to serve? Well, we've got VBS coming up. Oh, we've got plenty of need in nursery. I am saying, as Pastor Jeff's going to probably point this out soon, this summer we're going to do a study on spiritual gifts. And every person who comes to Christ has spiritual gifts. And they're to use them and use them properly so that we can complement one, one another for the growth and blessing of the church large and watch the church grow. Watch the Lord bless as we do that. But I wanted to confess that and tell you that we have done that. Maybe not on purpose, but we, that, that is not God's command and truth for us. Women must learn and be discipled and be co-heirs in the work in the kingdom of Christ. But God has a plan. God has a design. God has a pattern for us to truly do that in the best way possible. So can we partner? Can we do that more? Can we listen to each other more? By the way, uh, now I'm going to really probably get in trouble, but do you know all our session meetings are open? If you as a woman want to understand and listen and learn and grow why we do what we do at Trinity Presbyterian Church or our presbytery meetings for that matter, except when we're in executive session, everyone is allowed to come and learn and hear and grow. And so I want to challenge you with that. Listen, God has a good plan and we need not to neglect it and we need to uphold His Word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank You for allowing us to do this passage again and there's more to come and I know, Lord, there's more that challenges us and convicts us and I pray that You would help us to complete it next week, but I do pray that You will help us to be disciples in the way that You've designed us to be. And it's in Jesus' glorious and magnificent name that we pray. Amen.